Welcome back to the show. I'm Travis Chappell, and I believe that if you can connect with the best, you can become the best. So after creating 800 podcast episodes about building your network, I've come to realize that networking is really just making friends, if you're doing it the right way anyway. Join me as I make friends with world-class athletes like Shaquille O'Neal, entertainers like Rob Deerdeck, authors like Dr. Nicole LaPera, former presidents like Vicente Fox, or even the occasional FBI hostage negotiator, billionaire real estate mogul, or polarizing political figure. So if you want to make more friends that help you become a better version of yourself, then subscribe to the show and keep on listening because this is Travis Makes Friends. Are you a salesperson wanting to get better at sales? Or maybe you just have a different career and you want to see if sales is a career path for you. Well, in this episode of Freestyle Friday, we cover all things selling, how to overcome the price objection if you're in sales currently, how to educate yourself to become a better salesperson, some people that I believe you should follow that will teach you how to become a better salesperson. Um, Or we even talk about how to get into sales if you're not currently in sales and you're wondering if it's a viable career path for you. We cover it all in this episode, including a breakdown from an episode of my interview with Chris Voss, who is an FBI hostage negotiator and the best-selling author of Never Split the difference. He weighs in on these topics for us as well. So let's go ahead and get started with this episode with the quote of the week. People will do business with people they know, like, and trust based on your knowledge, your creativity, and your credibility. And again, that comes from Robert Cialdini, the goat of learning how to persuade people. Um, If you haven't checked out his books, you definitely have to. And that leads me directly into our hot take segment for today. The product is not the most important thing. If you follow people like Alex Mosey, you might be familiar with his methodology that says market is greater than product is greater than persuasion. And I really love this framework, to be be honest with you, because most people think that the marketing is going to solve all their problems. Okay. And sometimes that's true because this is exactly what Manscaped did, right? If you bought the first generation of their ball trimmer, it really wasn't all that great. I know because I bought it. Okay. But the marketing was amazing. And that's the reason that I bought it because the marketing was amazing. Basically what they did is they, they went and found this white label version of a product. And instead of giving it a generic name, they cleverly called it the lawnmower, though the first version could have easily just been the weed whacker because it was not a seamless ball shaving activity. Let's just say my balls have finally healed and uh, that they've come a long way since then. And now they have the lawnmower 4.0. Give yourself a sick fade or experiment with some fun shapes and outlines. Whether you like that high and tight or you may want to go for a more maintained look without being totally bare. And it's actually a developed product that's different than any of the other trimmers that they're just white labeling and smacking a brand on that they got off of Alibaba or something. So They gave it a clever name. They did amazing marketing and then boom, they exploded. And then they used that surge of capital and profit and took that and started to improve everything else about the brand, especially the product and the customer experience. And now that brand is worth over a billion dollars. However, that is not the duplicatable model for most people because most people are just not that good at marketing. That's why Alex Ramosi's example is really the best model to follow for most people because it starts with the market. So take an example of you're selling hot dogs, and this is the example that he uses in his book. You're selling hot dogs and they're not that great, but you're selling them outside of a bar at three o'clock in the morning when nothing else is open you're still going to sell out of hot dogs, even if they're not that good, even if the product is not that good, even if you're not a good salesperson or a good marketer, you're still going to sell out of hot dogs because you have a literal starving market. After you identify your market, 
then you build a really great product. And this is what's separated him from all the other internet marketers in the space is that he's somebody that focuses on product and customer experience and results and these types of things, because this is what enables you to go grab retention. And it also enables you to start when you, when you start focusing on acquisition, it allows you to start acquiring more than one customer per acquisition right? Because if your product is that good, then people are going to start telling other people about it. So you're no longer just acquiring one person every time you acquire a customer, you're acquiring 1.1 or 1.2 or 1.3, depending on how many people that person goes and tells about it because their experience was just that amazing. And then lastly, he says, focus on marketing and sales. So it's like, if you have a great market and you have a great product, then you're not going to have to focus that much on persuasion skill or persuasion ability. The, the, the worse your market is and the worse your product is, the more you're going to have to focus on marketing and sales and persuasion, which is the most difficult part of uh, the most difficult skill to learn um, rather than just doing a bunch of market research and things ahead of time. So I love Hermosi's model for most people, but there's one piece that's missing from the equation and that is brand. I would argue that in reality, brand is greater than market, is greater than product, is greater than persuasion and not the brand of the company talking about the brand of the person. I guess it could be the brand of a company in some cases. But to illustrate this concept, let's take a look at a specific example. You stop by a store on your way to a party, okay? You're looking at all the different options of tequila on the shelves, but suddenly your eyes lock onto a bottle of Terramana tequila. Easy choice. You grab it, you check out, and you're off to go mix it with whatever mixer is best for you. I personally prefer pineapple. So only a small group of the consumers are going to be the tequila connoisseurs that are worried about the taste and flavor profiles, and they've tried thousands of tequila options, and they know which one works best. But most of the population just knows, likes, and trusts The Rock, and they're drinking tequila because they want to have a good time, not because they're trying to uh, tell you what notes are in the tequila. So remember the Robert Cialdini quote from the top of this episode, people will do business with the people that they know, like, and trust. It's what compels consumers to choose Terramana over all of the other tequila brands on the market. So this is why I say that it's even a little bit more important than the market, because before Terramana existed, there was absolutely nobody no one was thinking, hey, you know what's missing in this market today? You know what company should exist? Another tequila company. That's what's missing. We don't have enough tequila. Okay, there wasn't a need. There wasn't a gap in the market that he was filling. Yet, The Rock had the most successful launch of any spirits company in history. Brand is the reason that Terramana has now been valued at around $3.5 billion today. It's the same reason Proper Number 12 Whiskey became a household name almost immediately out of the gates because people knew Conor McGregor. Okay, take any other example, like, like Prime. They've done, they did a quarter billion in sales in year one. Mint Mobile sold for $1.3 billion to T-Mobile recently. Casamigos, Kylie Cosmetics, the list goes on and on. Brand is what built these companies. Not necessarily the market or the product or marketing. It was brand. Now, don't misunderstand me. You cannot build a lasting empire solely on brand hype, okay? You cannot forget the importance of building a solid product because the brand will bring the first order and maybe even the second or third order. But the ones after that, they're going to be based on how good or bad the product truly is. But the nice thing about it is that your fan base, your initial customer base 
will make the product improvement and ideation much, much easier for you because your core group of fans or audience members are going to be much more forgiving of your initial product and will even give you the benefit of the doubt that you're going to continue making improvements on it and will maybe order multiple times when if it was a different tequila company that they were trying for the first time, if it didn't immediately match their expectations, they're probably not going to buy it again. But they'll buy the rocks over and over because they believe that he's going to continue making improvements on the brand. So the point is the brand is the rocket booster that can propel your good product to greatness. Uh, uh, but the product at the end of the day is what keeps the customers coming back for more and more and more. So this is the importance of focusing on building your personal brand, releasing content some way, somehow through a podcast, a YouTube channel, a book, a live event. Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, whatever it's going to be, because brand is greater than market, is greater than product, is greater than persuasion. All right, guys, that is it for today's hot take. Let's go ahead and get into the breakdown. In this breakdown, we're going to be talking about what to say when your customer says your product or service is too expensive. And by the way, this is coming from Chris Voss, the FBI hostage negotiator and best-selling author of Never Split the Difference. So you're going to want to pay attention. In business, it's inevitable that you're going to encounter people who try to haggle with you over prices. It can be a really frustrating experience, and I know I'm speaking from personal experience when I say that, but it's not one that you absolutely have to endure. In fact, the key to successful negotiations is knowing how to handle situations just like this one. Luckily, in my interview with FBI hostage negotiator Chris Voss, he gave us some really incredible gems in regards to how to deal with this very issue. We don't bargain over price anymore because if you're haggling with me over price, either you don't think the value's there or somebody you work for doesn't think the value's there. Hmm. So some somebody that's somebody in your company could be putting a lot of pressure on you. I'm going to shift to that. Um, if you got a problem with price, again, by definition, the value's not there for you. So if the value ain't there for you, me cutting a price is still not solving your problems. So I'm going to shift again to all right, so if you say that's too expensive, I'll say it sounds like the value is not there for you. And we'll immediately go talk about what's wrong with the product, the implementation, the deal, the terms, everything other than price. You, you know, if, if you're haggling over price, you are talking about the wrong thing in the negotiation. So as you just heard Chris explain, first, focus on value. He explains that if someone is haggling with you over price, it's likely because they didn't see the value in what you're offering. Now, this could be because they just don't understand the product or what it does or how your service helps them, or because they just don't believe that it's worth the price that you're charging for the service. Rather than getting bogged down in discussions about price and discounts, take the time to explain the benefits of what you're offering. I was on a phone with a security company the other day. He was one of his clients wanted to haggle with him over price. I said, man, do not cut your price. They're, they're either haggling with you because it's a game and they're okay with the price. They just want to haggle, which means you shouldn't cut the price. Or they're haggling with you because there's a service problem they're unhappy with and cutting your price is not going to address the service problem. Either Whichever of those two things it is, it's not a price issue. It's a delivery issue or they just, they're bored. Hmm. So, and you got to find out which one it is and you got to address it, but do not cut your price. So nobody out there should haggle over their price. If, some, if there's price pressure on you, 
The answer is better service. The answer is better implementation. Secondly, do not cut your prices. One of the biggest mistakes that people make when they're negotiating is to cut their price. While it may seem like a good idea in the moment and makes you feel like you're getting a good deal, this can actually hurt your business in the long run. Regardless of how much pressure you're under, if someone's haggling with you over price, it's likely that there's a deeper issue at play. Perhaps they're unhappy with the service that they're receiving, or they don't trust your brand, or they don't trust you as the, as the salesperson. Cutting your prices is not going to solve those problems. Instead, you need to address the root cause of the issue. Ask questions to find out why the customer is unhappy, and then work with them to find a solution to their problem. If you believe that you should over-deliver, and if you live by those words, then whatever you're charging is a bargain. Third, over-deliver on value. If you want to avoid hagglers at all costs, the best thing that you can do is over-deliver on the value that they're receiving from you. If your customers feel like they're getting more than what they paid for, they're unlikely to haggle with you over the price. To do this, you need to focus on providing exceptional service, going above and beyond what's expected. This could mean providing additional resources or support, or just simply taking the time to ensure that your customers are happy with the experience that they have. And by the way, this is why it's super important to continue creating really good quality content because content is just the appetizer. It lets people see what you're all about. And that's why inside of our companies, we try to provide the most value that we possibly can absolutely for free at the very beginning of the customer journey. Because if you can create stuff that's really high quality and it's completely free and they can take that completely free, high quality stuff, implement it and make more money or see a result that's happening inside of their business, they're much, much, much more likely to trust that if they pay you money, even if it's higher than they want to pay, that the service is going to be that much better than anybody else's product or service that may be a competitor of yours. So if you consistently deliver exceptional value, Your customers will be more likely to trust your brand and pay your asking price without asking any questions about it. In conclusion, haggling over price is a common occurrence in business, but it is not one that you have to endure. Focus on value, avoid price cuts, and over-deliver on service so that you can ensure that your negotiations are successful and that you're building long-lasting relationships with your customers. All right, so I gave you Chris Voss's version of what to do when your customer says that your product or service is too expensive, but I also want to give you an anecdotal illustration from a sales call I had with a customer recently. For those of you who don't know, we have a service inside of my agency. Let's see this giant G behind me. If you don't know what that stands for, it's Guestio. Guestio is a software company that connects podcasters to guests and guests to podcasters. Well, my agency, Guestio Concierge, does this on a done-for-you basis. We represent shows, we help them book guests, and we represent guests and help them get booked on shows. So because our service is really high quality and we work with the best of the best, We charge a lot for the service. So I happened to be on a sales call with the customer and I was explaining what our service did. I did not know at the time, but uh, come to find out through asking questions during the conversation, this particular customer or prospect was already using a service that was similar to the one that we offered. It's basically the exact same thing. He was working with a company that got him booked on podcasts to help him promote his products and services. We're promoting the exact same thing. And that's why he came into our, our uh, funnel, into our world, because he wanted to get booked on more podcasts again. So after asking some more questions throughout the process, I found out that the company that he was working with before was charging quite literally one third of the price that we charge for the exact same service. The difference is, it's not the exact same service, is it? 
No, it's not because we offer really high quality service, really high quality bookings, and we take our time to move above and beyond what our competition is willing to do. Therefore, we charge high prices and we do not discount those prices. So when this person, after I, after I presented the price and I asked for the sale, uh, first of all, I shut up. Okay. If you're not doing that already, you're already probably losing sales. After you ask for the sale, after you ask for the business, do not say a word. Let them air all of the things that they're thinking. Let them get their their thoughts out into the conversation so that you can help guide them into understanding more about your product and how it helps solve their problems. So I shut up after I delivered, uh, after I asked for the sale. And all he said afterwards was, man, I don't know. This is, this is just, this is really expensive almost verbatim. This sounds really expensive because, and he literally started going into, you know, this person that we were working with before they charged one third of what you guys are charging. It just sounds really expensive. And after pausing for a second, all I said back to him was, yes, it is. It is expensive. I know that we're one of the most expensive companies in this industry. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, most of the time you get what you pay for. All I did was acknowledge what he told me. I didn't try to combat it. I didn't try to overcome it. It wasn't an objection. This is the concept I first learned from, from actually from Grant Cardone, who said this in one of his sales trainings back when I was doing door to door. A lot of times people's objections aren't even real objections. They're just complaints. And your role as a salesperson in that particular scenario is to treat it like a complaint until it becomes an objection or else you find yourself overcoming an objection that didn't exist. And if you overcome an objection that doesn't exist, it turns into a real objection because now that person takes a position of defense because you're overcoming an objection that they didn't even feel like they had to begin with, but now they have to feel like they defend their position. So all I did was acknowledge that, yes, this is an expensive service. It is an expensive product. That's just the way that it is. All That's all I said. I didn't say anything else after that. And then in about... 15 seconds of silence between the two of us. He said, all right, let's go ahead and do it. When after that thing happened, I didn't even think about it until that night when I was, I was kind of reviewing my, uh, my tasks for the day and reviewing my calls for the day, my calendar. And I was just like, you know what? Four or five years ago as a less experienced salesperson, I would have, I would have lost that deal because I would have gotten, or I, I would have lost the deal or I would have lost money trying to, trying to make them happy. I would have immediately gone to price and been like, okay, well, what can we do about this for you? Obviously you want the solution to the problem. Uh, but you're saying that our prices are too high. So what can we do to make it make sense for you? Can we lower this? Can we do this? Can we do that? But all I did that was different was just acknowledged that it is an expensive price for this particular service. And by the way, this was a few months ago. This person is still on is, is still a monthly retainer client with us that we've gotten some really great results for, and he is happy and willing to pay three times what he was paying for the same exact service just because we deliver a high-quality product and a high-quality service. Which also brings me to a third and and separate point, which is this is why as a salesperson, you have to have complete buy-in to the product or service that you're already selling. You have to be completely sold on what you're offering to begin with, or else you're not going to have the confidence to be able to deliver a line like that in a in a, a conversation with a prospect and do it with a straight face. If you don't think that your product is that high quality, you don't think your service is that different, and you're just charging prices for the sake of charging prices, then uh, you might not be as uh, as able or as confident in your delivery, which might make them distrust you more than trust you even more. So you have to have a good product or service to begin with. But when you get your when you find yourself in the situation, you find somebody saying like, "Man, this sounds too expensive." First of all, you got to be willing to walk away from the deal, which is 
what I was willing to do. It's just like, I am not going to discount this. So if you think that this is too expensive and I'm agreeing with you, then you're just not going to be a good fit for this product or for this service. Uh, like you, you can maybe go to downselling in terms of uh, selling a different service or a different term or a different agreement, but you should never cut your prices. All you need to do a lot of times is just acknowledge the complaint that's happening and say, look, I totally understand where you're coming from. This is really expensive. We are one of the more expensive services in, 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 the, in the industry. And then that's it. That's all they're looking for is just an acknowledgement. They're like, man, okay, yeah, this is pretty expensive. But uh, at the end of the day, people are not looking for a podcast booking service. They're looking for a result which largely is tied to, I want more content. I want better branding. I want better brand positioning or credibility or authority or uh, better thought leadership, or I want leads and sales. If you find out what the result is, then it doesn't really matter what they're paying for the service as long as the value is higher than the service than, than the fee that you're charging. So don't get caught up in when they say it's too expensive. Don't get combative. Don't view it as an objection until it becomes a real objection. Treat it like a complaint. Just acknowledge that it could potentially be true and go back in and ask for the sale again. And now that customer has been a happy customer of ours for several months now, and uh, this contract will be worth multiple five figures by the end of the year. So um, listen to all the things that we talked about with Chris Voss. Obviously, he knows what he's talking about. But I also wanted to give my personal anecdotal story because I know also in the Q&A segment coming up, somebody also asks about uh, what to say when when someone says your product is too expensive. So I wanted to give Chris Voss's thing. And I also want to give an anecdotal story from a recent conversation I had uh, with a customer. So hopefully that helps what to say when the customer says your product is too expensive. That's it for today's breakdown. Let's go ahead and get into some Q&A. And by the way, if you want a question of yours answered in a future episode of the show, then follow me on Instagram at Travis Chapel. Or if you're watching this on YouTube, you can drop your questions in the comments for next week's Q&A. Sometimes we'll be very topic focused like this one on sales. Other times we'll be just kind of generic uh, stuff that we'll cover if you want us to cover it. So at Travis Chapel on Instagram, follow me over there. And once or twice a week, we'll post something about collecting questions to answer in this segment. So Eric, what do we got for this week? First question is from at JJ wall says, how do I break into sales from a different industry? That question is funny because most people I know in sales are like, how do I get out of this? Do something else. (laughs) Well, those that's only the ones that aren't good. Right. That's mainly the ones I knew. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Cause if you're, if you don't ever work at getting better at sales, it can be a brutal way yeah. to make a living but i you, know if you yeah, that's true it's i did true. two months and that's two sales a full two months of door-to-door one on your first day yeah and one that's on the funniest thing ever because if you're listening we i worked briefly at the company travis uh Dom, you were the best that they ever had well, and um <laughs> <laughs> you're the best they ever had you outshone everybody and then uh, i went to work there and then the first house i ever knocked on they were like come in i was like Oh my God, this I, is it. I literally, be rich. <laughs> I literally was like, this is what people have been saying is so hard. Cause they had done like a little bit of training and I was like, yeah. this is easy. I went in, sold them, boom. And I didn't sell anybody else until the, <laughs> the next month. <laughs> and then those people I sold, but they didn't have any furniture in their house. And then I was like, okay. And then a few days later I said, oh, that deal fell apart. I was like, that's crazy. They look like they were well off. <laughs> so anyway, so my sales career was short, short lived. Yeah, I'd say I'm probably if I if I wanted to do sales now I could probably do a lot better. I agree. I agree. Well, because <laughs> I say I say this all the time, door to door is like the coldest, hardest yeah. version, especially 100 percent commission door to door. There's no guarantee. There's no base. 
if you're and if you're it's the if it's the first type of sales you've ever done it can be very very daunting yeah. and you can trick yourself into believing that you're not a good salesperson if you can't make door to door happen yeah. when in reality it's just not the case there's so many other sales jobs that are way more like relational based transactions mm -hmm. that take months to close and you can still make fat commissions on those deals yeah. but it it'll it would cater more to like I think more most people's personalities rather than right. like cold calling or door to door 100% commission is is just a savage form of selling. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a, a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Um, but to get into <clears throat> to get into this uh, this question, the reason I like this question is that sales to me is a really great path to financial freedom. If you come from a background of like, you don't have a higher education, you don't have a bunch of connections in your family that can lead to great careers with awesome salaries and things like that. Um, so the sales can be a, a really great path yeah. for you to change everything about your financial situation. Um, However, I know, I think the person that asked this question uh, has a good job in, in accounting. And so the, what I would say is the cool thing about sales in general as well is that you can get into selling part-time. If you do anything hundred percent commission, they typically can't tell you when to come into the office and you have to do this and you have to show up 60 hours a week and you have, you know what I mean? So it, I, I like it because you can just kind of start dabbling in mm -hmm. sales through things like whether it's a network marketing company or product or, uh, or it's, or it is door to door, even, even, uh, could be door to door or mortgages or selling real estate, things like that. You can get into learning how to sell part time yeah. so that you can start getting your feet under you, your, your, your sea legs, your sales legs under you. 
and feel comfortable leaving your safe and secure job in right. order to pursue this this path of selling. Uh, and then it, it allows you to start getting reps because that's really like what it comes down to, to me is reps. Yeah. It's like, yes, you can train, like you can listen to Grant Cardone sales training. You can listen to Zig Ziglar sales training. You can listen to Jim Rohn. You can listen to, you know, some of the newer guys like, uh, Jeremy Miner, uh, to Cole Gordon, people who are teaching sales all the time. You can go subscribe and listen to those people. But ultimately at the end of the day, it's about how many reps are you putting mm -hmm. in and, and, and how often are you sharpening the skill and, and, and what's the opportunity look like? Because, you know, I have friends in sales that make anywhere from a hundred thousand a year to 400,000, yeah. 500,000 a year. And some that make um, way less. And some of them make a lot less than yeah. that. But also there's the outliers that will make a million plus just in commissions, just by selling stuff for other people. The opportunity has to be big. You have to be selling higher price things. Typically you're typically not going to make that much your first three or four years. Cause you're building up a book of business and things like that. Yeah. But the, the, the commissions can scale really, really high, really quickly. Um, so I, I would say, I would say if you want to start, if you're, if you have a good job and a good career with a good salary, uh, and it, makes you money and takes care of all of your lifestyle things like the my immediate suggestion if you're unhappy where you are this is assuming that you're unhappy where you are my immediate suggestion is cut down living expenses number one make your monthly nut smaller um <laughs> it's a common expression eric god damn it <clears throat> because you always say that stuff at like the most expected like unexpected time <laughs> yeah. you look me right in the eye that's because i'm waiting for you to laugh at it did you mean to say that yeah i know, you know i know what you mean like yeah you have it like you yes but it's just it didn't i was it's following a common your, expression i was following your words and was expecting to end it's a common that expression that i knew would <laughs> would throw you okay sorry for a loop anyway um immediately take down your expenses is all i'm trying to say yeah uh, that's a then, that's a way to say it and then put money uh in your in your account to give you enough runway yeah. to figure out the sales thing and then you can start dabbling again on the side uh, whether that's in real estate I, I like real estate a lot because it's huge commissions you can start as part-time as you yeah. want to and and small as you want to and yeah. and you can learn a ton about a space that's likely to make you wealthy regardless Right. You know what I'm saying? So like if you are an accountant or you do like you have a safe, secure job, you're making a six figure salary and your expense, you keep your expenses low and then you start dabbling in real estate on the side. It's like, oh, well, I, I only sold seven homes this year, but those seven homes made me if you know, if you're in a decent market yeah. where the average sales price is four hundred thousand, five hundred thousand dollars. It's like, well, those those seven deals, you know, made me. 60 to ninety thousand dollars in commissions on top of yeah. my salary and then i'm starting to get these off-market opportunities coming to me and that actually is a pretty good deal so if you learn how to calculate a cap rate mm -hmm. and or, or or you get some contacts in construction yeah. then you can start investing in real estate and that to me is like the path yeah. right because like you could you could become financially free being an accountant or having a high six-figure salary just by cutting your expenses, taking the excess and parking it in real estate right. all day long. But if you don't know anything about real estate, it can be extremely risky and you could lose a ton of money doing that. Yeah. So getting into real estate as an agent, get your license and like start learning your local market, yeah. start connecting with people who know the local market really well, getting connections and construction and lending and financing and all these other things. And then you're doing it 
essentially you're getting paid to learn all of these things because right. you can start selling some real estate on the side. Um, and then you learn a little bit more about sales through that process. You just keep putting in reps on the sales side of things. Um, and then you can start putting some money in some real estate deals. So that to me is like a really good way to do it, especially if you're not completely mm. fed up with your job. Yeah. The second part to that question is like, you have to like the, the very first thing you have to do before any of this is ask yourself like, how fed up am I where I'm at? You know what I mean? Like if you're, if you were completely fed up and you got some money in the bank, maybe just quit and get into sales. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, especially if assuming like you're single, you don't have kids, you don't have like a ton of people depending on you or your income and you can take your expenses down. You can mm -hmm. break your lease on your nice place and go get a place that's cheaper. You know what I mean? Like to me, to me, I always solve for what allows me to be the most productive. And if I know that if I'm unhappy doing something, I'm not productive in any other part of right. my life. It's yeah. much more difficult. So for me, when I was leaving sales to go online marketing and business and podcasting full time, um, I, I had to get out of that as quickly as I could. Right. So I went from making, you know, 15 grand. I, I could go knock doors and know that I can make 15 grand in a week or two. Yeah. I went from like making that type of money to making like three or $4,000 a month yeah. when I started my podcast. But I was so happy to say goodbye to this, this other like career path that it didn't, it, it was like, I don't care. I broke my lease on my $3,000 a month place. And I moved in, like my wife and I moved in with my brother-in-law and we paying 500 bucks a month. It allowed me the breathing room to yeah. be able to focus on the one thing that I was doing, but only focus on that one thing. So it's kind of, it's kind of difficult to say exactly what the path is because it really depends on how fed up you are, your current mm -hmm. place. Do you have rainy day fund or savings to go off of? Um, or if you're not that fed up with it and you're like, I actually kind of like my job. It's just that I don't want to do this for another right. 30 years. Like I like, I'm, you know, I'm 34 right now and I'm not about this retire when I'm 63 life. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I like my job. I don't like it that much. That to me is like a, Hey, start dabbling, but have the dabbling being an opportunity that if you want to pursue it full time, the opportunity is big enough to pursue it full time. Right. Right. So that's the difference to me between like doing like garage sale flipping. Like Gary Vee always talks about that. It's like, yeah, you can make an extra couple thousand bucks a month doing that. But it's very it's it's going to be extremely rare for people to yeah. turn it into a seven figure business. I think it's the reason he talked. I think it, you know this. I'm just saying this more for people listening who go, you know, because a lot of people clown on Gary Vee for the garage sale thing. But I think what I like about it is that it shows you that you can make money outside of a traditional way of making money. Absolutely. Like I think it's a, a toe in the water. But I think if you're, hey, I plan on that being my job. Yeah. Like. Well, not just I plan on that being my job, but like I plan on that being what allows me to retire. That's the like, plan. Yeah. That's a little bit different. But the principle is fantastic, especially for young people, yeah. because it teaches you arbitrage, yeah. which is it's like a mini real estate course almost. Yeah, it really yeah. is. Like I mean, you're 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 flipping stuff, which yeah. is it's arbitrage. Like arbitrage is a way that a lot of businesses make a ton of money. So learning learning how to negotiate down and then sell for higher and how to add value to an item mm -hmm. in between the transactions to increase the perceived value of that and sell it for more and make a profit like that principle is the same whether you're buying a ten dollar pack of hot wheels at a garage sale or you're buying a half a million dollar home yeah. that's distressed you know what i mean so the principles kind of remain the same but my point is like if you get into the real estate world there's somewhere to go if you're yeah. like man i love this real estate thing i wish i could do this full time yeah and it's like okay well instead of doing seven transactions and making 60 grand maybe you do you shoot for 57 transactions and you can make a half a million dollars doing real estate right. and then if you're like getting all this inbound leads and opportunities you're meeting all these people that are in that world and again you start getting 
some of these off-market deals. And it's like, oh, I could, f- I, I know for sure, because I know the market now has been working in it for a year and a half. I know for sure that if I put $24,000 into that property, that I could make 50 grand on it if I can sell it for this much. And I'm pretty sure the market will will allow me to sell it for that much. Right. You know what I mean? Like it gives you the ability to move further down that path if you sure. want to. And real estate's made more millionaires than anything else. So, yeah. you know, you start parking your money in real estate and instead of flipping the properties or wholesaling the properties, you just start keeping them. As long as they cash flow, you start building a real estate portfolio and then you leave your job once your passive income is enough to cover all of your expenses and now you can do it full time. So sure. that was a really long answer to a really basic and simple question, but it really starts with the self-awareness of like, how much do I hate what I'm doing right now? If the answer is I hate it completely and fully, then it probably means like right. I should pursue this a little bit more actively. Whereas if they, if the answer to that question is like, ah, it's not that bad. I just don't want to do it for another 20 years. Then you have a little bit more runway to go figure it out. Right. But the simple answer is like, start putting in reps on the sales side and start filling your ears and mind with trainings from people who are doing it extremely well. And you can do that for free. You don't have to go join an expensive program right off the bat. Um, you can, you know, listen to podcasts, listen to audios, uh, old audios from Jim Rohn and Zig Ziglar are fantastic. Yeah. Um, like rewind gems. this episode and listen to, uh, Chris Voss talking about negotiating and yeah, lowering yeah. The price. Chris Voss, <laughs> there's, there's so many books and stuff like on it uh, that's on it now. So, um, learn as much as you can, but you have to implement it. Yeah. You have to, at some point, like start putting in the reps. Um, but there's so much, so much opportunity in sales, especially now there's so many people that are making yeah. 20, 30 grand a month selling for like online coaching companies mm-hmm. just on a zoom screen for six to eight hours a day, but they're pulling $35,000 a month. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, I mean, they get flexibility in their hours and their schedule. And so there's just so much opportunity there to, to make really good money and the ability to sell will translate into every other aspect of your life yeah. and will allow you to skyrocket in my opinion, because it doesn't just stop there. You know what I mean? Like selling comes in when you're trying to raise capital for my software company, or you're trying to raise capital for a real estate deal. Like that's all sales. Yeah. It's all learning how to sell and persuade. So, um, the skill itself is vitally important. I think, I don't think we're going to clip this into a reel, uh, but, uh, there's your answer for, for yeah. that one. Um, this one might be somewhat similar. Shauna underscore Scott underscore zero one one five says I'm leaving the army for software sales. Any material I can start prepping with this kind of goes just a little bit more on the education side. Like if you were going to say, Hey, I'll just pivot a little bit. If you're going to say, Hey, everybody considering sales should read this one book or check out this one course. Like what would you say is kind of like your, your chosen kind of like material that you think would be helpful? (sighs) That's really tough question. Cardone's still one of the best to me. The only thing about his material is that it's very applicable for unlimited market opportunities. Mm -hmm. It's not in my opinion, as applicable for limited market opportunities. So what I mean by that is if you're in door-to-door sales or car sales Mm -hmm. or phone sales or supplement sales and like your market is everybody, then you can burn and turn and you can use a lot of the tactics and the hardcore closing techniques that people like Grant Cardone or Zig Ziglar are teaching. But if you're in software sales, software sales could be one way or the other way. It could be widely applicable or it might just be, you know, there's some software sales company or organizations that are like, we target fortune 1000 companies and that's it. Yeah. It's like, you can't just go burning through contacts at fortune 1000 decision makers. Mm -hmm. You have to have a more relational long-term sales cycle 
that is not going to allow you to speak to people the way that those types of trainings and programs teach you to speak to people. It again can be a really great training program for you to ascend into those higher level versions of sales with higher contract values and higher level people that are making the decisions and sometimes higher level groups of people that are making the decisions. Mm -hmm. It's like the one decision maker. Yeah, but I got to convince the board or I got to convince the management team or the CFO. And like, you got to do research into the decision maker and like, you have to take them to dinner. You had to, you know what I'm saying? So it's a, it's, it's kind of difficult to say like this one thing will be the thing that does everything for you. Um, so for those like, you know, higher value ones, I would look to people like Jeremy Lee minor, um, and, uh, uh, Chris Voss, mm-hmm. uh, for, for those types of things. Cause I think that, I think that their style of kind of negotiation of selling tactics and, and those types of things, I, I think that it'll translate more widely. Yeah. And then, uh, I would really recommend regardless of what sales you're going into, just reading books on the psychology of persuasion in general, mm-hmm. anything from Robert Cialdini is fantastic. Um, he's kind of like the foremost expert, uh, but also books like Win Big Leap by Scott Adams or the, I think the, the Persuasion Black Book uh, is another one. Um, Never Split the Difference, Chris Voss, obviously. Yeah. Like I went just deep down the rabbit hole of like, how many books can I read on just persuasion in general? Right. And it also sharpened my sales ability in doing that. Um, but they're not like courses. Like it's going to be if you had a card on you or you go to Jeremy Lee Minor stuff or some of these other guys that haven't really documented out. Cole Gordon's another really good one. But they, it's I would say it's different based on the type of sales you're getting right. into. If you're selling online coaching, Cole Gordon's really, really great at that. If you're selling, like I said, Unlimited market stuff, cars, alarms, solar, Grant Cardone stuff is really great. Um, If you're selling high contract value things, Chris Foss or some of these other guys, you know, so hopefully that helps. Awesome. Christian Marogi, Marogi, Marogi says, interesting you used to sell solar. I have a question for you. What's your take on selling solar as a solar dealer? I've seen a few people starting up their own solar sales companies around me recently with plenty of people cold calling for them. Do you see this becoming a really successful business model in the future? Thanks, Travis. It already is, is the answer to the question. It's been a successful business model for the past decade. That's why there's so many people that have jumped into it. You know, this is like, this is like one of the things that I kick myself for from, and everybody's got their journey. And I, that's why I hesitate to call it a regret because I had to go down the path that I went down for the reasons mm-hmm. that I did. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I wish that I would have understood business more at the beginning of my career. I was thinking way more like a hired gun, like a sales guy. Yeah. And so when I started in solar before most people started in solar, I started selling door to door solar in 2011, 2012, I think. Um, one of those, one of those years, 2011, 2012, this is before like everybody was selling it. Yeah. Um, it was like right when Vivint had made the huge switch from only doing alarms to right. also doing solar. And then, um, uh, solar city had just created their door to door program. Solar city ended up being acquired by Tesla. It was started by Elon Musk's cousins, uh, Peter and Lyndon rive on Elon Musk's suggestion to them to start the company. It became the largest residential solar installer in the country. And then they started a door-to-door division and then recruited my whole team from Varengo Solar at the time, which was yeah. Sunrun's largest dealer at that time. Sunrun's still a massive company, but Varengo's nowhere to be found. Um, but anyway, I, I wish that I would have... I wish that I, I had known them what I know now in terms of the business of solar because it is a really, really great business to get into. Uh, it, the product is a great product. It does what you say it's going to do. Uh, it's, an, it's a really easy sell for how big the commissions are. Mm. 
So most people, depending on the size of their electricity bill and the rebates that the company gets and the owner and the homeowner gets, you know, most people aren't actually going to spend more money to get solar. Yeah. They're going to spend potentially less money than they're already spending on their utility bill to get solar. Uh, and now there's a ton of programs for solar ownership. When I started, it was a lot of power purchase agreements where the the company would still own the actual equipment and then the the homeowner would pay just a cheaper rate for the electricity, but they wouldn't have to pay anything out of pocket for it. There was no right. loan. There was none of that. But then people started realizing like, look, if I'm going to make this payment, I may as well own the panels free and clear at the end of 10 years instead of having to continue making this payment for another 50 years and right. as long as I own the house. Uh, so people start doing all these purchase agreements and stuff, but just to give you guys an, give you guys an idea, when I started selling solar, when I switched from Varengo to solar city, our like big commissions were like $190 per kilowatt, uh, which an average system would be like a six kilowatt system. So mm-hmm. we'd make like 1200 bucks on a deal, which isn't small, but it's not huge. And that's eventually why I got into the alarm business. Cause the alarm business was paying me eight or $900 a deal yeah. instead of $1,200 a deal. So it was a little bit less, but I could knock a door, install an alarm that day and get paid out the following Friday. Right. Whereas right. solar. And again, at the time, not all of the like counties and, and, uh, and approval processes were as good and strong as they are now. Yeah. So it would take sometimes eight to 12 weeks to get the solar deal installed. And I only got paid half before the installation yeah. and I got paid the other half on installation. And if something happened in that three month period, then I got my first 50% taken back if the deal didn't go through to installation. Yeah. So there was just a lot of things like that. I was like, this doesn't make sense. Why did I have this super long sales cycle for barely more money when I could go sell alarms and I could yeah. sell six of those in a week and they're all installed before I leave the home and I get paid on them on Friday. Right. So that's why I switched to alarms. But again, if I had seen what was really happening at the time, I had no idea how much margin Solar City was taking on those deals, right. you know, and they were, I think, self-financing all the deals. I'm sure they went and got financing to pay up front for the contracts, right. but um, uh, they were in-housing all of their accounts, to my knowledge. They weren't yeah. selling them to another dealer. But that's why, like, this guy's talking about being a solar dealer. They can pay you a lot of money because the 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 dealer is not in-housing the accounts, meaning mm-hmm. that, like, there's another financing company that knows the metrics on the fact that this customer is probably, on average, based on the data that we have, is on average going to pay us for 18 years or 24 years right. or 12 years, whatever the number is. So they know that I can pay you, as a dealer, 10 years of this payment up front because I know I'm going to get 27 right. years out of this customer. Yeah. So you, the commissions that you get on it is like, oh, I'm getting paid, you know, based on this contract that's going to pay this person like $150,000 over yeah. the lifetime of them owning this customer. And I'm going to get it. So so they're going to pay me to acquire their customer for them. And then they're going to pay me 30 grand on this freaking deal, you know? So right. like by the time I was leaving the industry or, or leaving door to door altogether, I had friends and I don't know what the, the numbers are now, but I had friends that were making upwards of a thousand dollars a kilowatt on a system. Yeah. I was, I was getting paid, like I said, $190 a kilowatt. Yeah. So instead of a $1,200 commission on a six kilowatt system, they're getting a $6,000 commission on a six kilowatt system. Right. And that's just the people that are selling for the dealer. That's not even the dealer. So the dealer is probably making 2000 bucks a kilowatt or something right. like that. So they're making on a six kilowatt system, 12 grand. Well, then all of a sudden it makes sense to keep staying in the solar yeah. business instead of being in the freaking alarm business. But I, just, I didn't see any of that at the time. I just saw, how do I make the most money? And I was so short sighted in the fact that I was like, how do I make six figures as a sales rep? Yeah. Instead of if I had had the foresight and then, and then just gone to somebody like that, that had a little bit of money, not a lot, like 50 grand in yeah. seed capital 
then I could have started selling solar for myself as a dealer for somebody else. You work with a contractor company. You don't have to be the contractor to install it. You sub out the work to them. You sell the accounts. You pay them. You make the money from the dealer. And now I can make twelve to fifteen hundred kilowatts, or, or uh, you know, twelve fifteen hundred dollars per kilowatt on these deals, and start making eight to ten k a rip. And at that point, it's like, well, the sales cycle makes a little bit more sense. And then obviously like more county commissions started getting on board, more government incentives started coming yeah. out and the process got smaller. The The sales cycle got smaller. So instead of waiting 12 weeks to get paid, I'm waiting two weeks to get paid. And it's yeah. like, all of those start making so much more sense. But again, at the time I just, I was just so young and so like focused on like, how do I make six figures right. that I completely overlooked this massive opportunity because I could have gotten in before everybody was getting in and known what I was doing, had a track record. And yeah, but anyway, I say all that to say like, it's an, it's still a good opportunity. Yeah. The only thing to look for is like, uh, is incentives on, uh, rebates and stuff by the government. See when that stuff is drying up, it's different from state to state. Yeah. Uh, so look for that, those types of things. But at the end of the day, man, like it's a really great way to make money because yeah again, it's, it's a really simple sale. It's like, yeah. you're already paying your utility bill, just pay for this instead. And in 10 years, you'll own the whole thing and you have no utility bill. Right. And if you sell the house, you'll get 60% of what you paid for the system and the value of your home added back to the value anyway. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's just like, it, it's a pretty no brainer, quote unquote, no brainer of a sale. And the margins are still really, really good. So yeah, I, I like the solar industry a lot. This last question is from Julian Duran, uh, TV. He says, what do I say when the client says something like it's too expensive? Well, you're in luck because at the top of the episode, we did like a six minute breakdown or longer. I don't know. Cause I haven't recorded the segment yet uh, all on this topic. So yeah. um, I want to throw that out because we're going to wrap up the Q and a section. If you have questions, definitely throw them our way, but who knows if they're good enough, we might end up making a full breakdown segment on it. Yeah. Asking about it in, in an interview. Um, we're talking about doing some segments where you call some people who are in other industries that would be able to answer them specifically. So just a reminder, you should definitely be throwing those questions our way, but that's it for today's Q and a segment. Travis, any final thoughts? Uh, no, that's it. Thanks for tuning in and keep asking good questions. That's it for today's episode. Thanks for spending some time with me and my friends. If you want to be better friends with me, then head over to travischapel.com team to subscribe to my free newsletter, Your Friend Travis, where I share what's on my mind about life, building a business, raising kids, being married, and anything else I would normally share with my close circle of friends. That's travischapel.com team. And my biggest ask of you since I'm sharing my friends with you is to share this episode with a friend of yours that hasn't listened to the show yet and leave us a quick five-star rating in Apple Podcasts and in Spotify. It would mean the world to us as it helps us make sure that this show continues to be more valuable to you. Thanks in advance, and I'll catch you on the next episode. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.